All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first official podcast of the season of at least the Premier League season, not the entire European Big Five season, but it's good to be back. It's good to be talking regular, weekly, constant football, um, and honestly, I think it gives me a little bit of life. So with that, I'm of course joined by Rian, and uh, we're going to go through a bunch of really great narratives um, from this past weekend of Premier League game. Could talk about everything from Liverpool to United to a kind of uh, like stressful, actually a very probably stressful game against Everton for you. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. Basically, um, haven't even talked about City and, and Leeds, whatever. Anyway, I'm I'm going into detail. I guess I'm excited because I'm actually in Europe for this. It's what like 7:30 for me almost, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fun time here. I've been doing a lot of talking, but what's up? How you doing? <laughs> So doing a lot of talking and a lot of walking as as Elias a lot of walking this. a lot of walking already since he's since he's touched down in the UK what were you what were you actually seeing like the last couple of days i was so walking around basically um most of central london so everything from like hyde park to like kensington chelsea earls court uh, walked all the way to Covenant Garden, which is like all like farther east and basically a lot of touristy stuff. But yeah, it was something around before we started recording. I think I walked, I think it was 11 or 12 miles the first day we got here and then eight or nine miles the next day. So I've, I've almost walked a marathon at this point. Um, at least it feels that way. So I, I need like a half day break, which I kind of took for today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is Sunday anyway, so I get, would hope that exactly. I hope that you and your parents are taking it easy on a Sunday on a, <laughs> when you're all vacationing together. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, they are fully like relaxing right now with family, like putting their feet up in like the most immigrant parent way, like just leaning back. Ah, oh, yeah, this is a good vacation for us. <laughs> it's so needed. Well, that's that's nice for you obviously you, wait, what what is the weather like there actually that's what i am very curious about is it as bad as it was back here uh, the east coast of uh, no coast yeah of yeah so that's actually the nice part is like when we got here and the whole time we've been honest just in europe in general it's been like 70 or 75 and sunny and it's not humid at all like it's the perfect weather and like i compare it to right now like i'm sure new york to what like 90 95 really yeah, feels less, that way and humid. yeah i think we're like we're like basically at 90 today yeah yeah see it is not that right now but i will say like that you can see the effects of that heat wave that all of europe had a couple weeks ago because everything is burnt here like the grass is completely burnt there's nothing here that is green it's really bizarre it's like you can quite oh, wow. literally just see the direct effects of climate change. They've shut off like some of the fountains around like the touristy areas. Like the, you can see the effects, um, but like, I don't know. You probably, I mean, you probably know this, but RDC world who is just like YouTube group. I love, and I think they're out with a video the other day of like what will happen basically uh, when like climate change becomes basically like so deadly that people actually die from it and yeah. what scientists will react uh react to and it's basically like and i told you so um kind of video <laughs> so yeah i feel that <laughs> i really feel that uh, well well 
uh, I, I don't even have a, I don't have a good response at all to that. But <laughs> no, of course not. Because yeah, like, yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, it just, it's just <laughs> been the entire summer and and the last few summers. And yeah, who knows? Let's we'll see what happens in the winter too. Obviously, like seriously, expecting yep. potentially the extremes on the other end too. But really, don't need that in our lives. But um, you want to? We can always talk about happier things. You know? Like, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's not think about that for about <laughs> you know, the next forty-five minutes or something. I'm I'm down for that. Yeah. Let's let's completely do that. Um, but yeah. Well, I guess we'll start for this portion of the podcast um, with our game of the week, which is going to be Manchester City West Ham, a two nil win for city in London, a game I actually was trying to go to. I was telling Rian last week about just really hard to get tickets to, but nonetheless city beating West Ham two nil an expected goal difference for uh, early Holland of what be, I believe 1.58 and quite literally everybody else on the pitch of about 0.52. Uh, so of course there's a penalty in there, which yields a pretty high XG as Ryan will, will probably tell us in a second. I'm curious what your takeaways were just from this game and really what you saw maybe as a takeaway from, uh, from early Holland specifically too. Yeah. I, I think kind of like the biggest takeaway from that game is that from city as a team point of view, they already have done this and, and we know that it'll get better as, as it comes along with time, but they're adjusting to how Holland plays right there. Slight adjustments. Not They haven't changed completely how, how the team plays. We still saw, I think they had like 85% possession after 20 minutes or something like that. Um, so none of that stuff has changed obviously, but you saw it in kind of both goals, but on a whole, you kind of saw like differences in how they were playing. They, it was a lot more of uh, Kyle Walker and Joao Cancelo coming into the midfield and kind of becoming like a midfield three with Rodri, um, yeah, and, and yeah. De Bruyne and and Gundogan pushing much much higher up, and, and you kind of saw those two trying to feed Holland's runs, and we saw that on both goals. First goal, it's Gundogan who plays the ball into to Holland um, and then he gets tripped up by uh, Ariola. And then second goal was similar. They find De Bruyne in like that right half space and he kind of drives the ball a little bit. And then as soon as you see Holland start making the, these runs and he makes them, yeah, there's no, there's no like doubt about the run, right? Like he, he makes a decision and then he's off and it's like t- terrifying and beautiful at this in the same sense because he's like <laughs> making up so much ground within a few steps and but then also just going so fast and De Bruyne found him beautifully on this on the uh second goal and it you got to see his finishing in in like on the run which I think is one of is what kind of sets him apart from a lot of other strikers is his ability to uh do all of that great stuff at pace like making that finish at pace is yeah extremely impressive and so i think just from a from a whole it, it, it seems like again it'll come with time and then they'll get better at this as as they play with them more but you can see there's there's already like this relationship growing and you can see that they that they've also haven't they didn't make him change the way he's played very much i think we just see him drop 
deep a good amount. Um, but I don't think that's way far off from what he did at times at Dortmund. And then I just like checked out this, the amount of touches that he got in this game and how much different that might've been to last season. And he had 32 touches in this game and last season he averaged like 34 with Dortmund. So they're not, they're not forcing him to play a different way, which is no, no, a, a bit is, which was kind of maybe the question mark coming into this season. And we'll see if this stays the same, but uh, what, what were your, what were your kind of thoughts from the, just uh, the first couple of things that you might've seen? I, so I actually really like what you said. Um, I, I think that the changes are really being adopted to basically Holland and his position, because I think he gives them so much that they, potentially had to rely on basically multiple different people for last year. Um, I think back to Gundogan's goal to win the league essentially right in the last day and how he had to make a, basically like a darting run in behind. And quite honestly, like I didn't think that he would get to a ball like that, like Gundogan specifically, but I do believe that someone like Holland is the perfect player for that. Right. Those are the type of, burst of acceleration that you you spend that kind of money on um if you're manchester city and that's clearly what they got the the issue i guess and maybe it's not so much an issue but just i guess a potential area of concern that i have is while Cancelo and, and kyle walker moved to more of these kind of interior positions that you were talking about i wonder how much is being sacrificed of jack Grealish and phil foden right because they're they've now essentially dropped back, back into deeper fullback spaces and while i think it's it's pretty smart to have your either your eights um or your interior midfielders in um Kevin De Bruyne and potentially I guess in this case Gundogan uh, or Bernardo Silva depending on who's on the field I wonder how much you're diminishing you know Grealish and Foden's impact on the game in an attacking sense and whether that's worth it I guess in in Pep's mind it totally is because it worked today um, but going forward, I'm just curious how, what kind of effect that has. I don't know if anyone has an answer to it yet. Yeah. And I think in this game itself, they weren't dropping back so much. They were really high up and they were playing like the winger. They were, they were specifically Grealish and, um, and I think it was, I guess it was Foden. Yeah. Foden on the right side. Right. So Foden, they were both very, very wide. Um, and it was kind of like, the two of Diaz and uh, Ake, like all the way in the back, and then the three of Rodri, Cancelo, and Walker standing in front of them, and then basically kind of like five up front, more or less, where where you saw Gundogan and um, and De Bruyne kind of right behind Holland, and he just kind of was drifting left to right in the kind of center um, of the pitch, and then. Yeah, it was Foden and and Grealish really pushing up and being and being the width on the right. So I, I'm I'm honestly interested to see. And then the first team that comes to mind when I think about who who can exploit the space that's left there now when it's when the fullbacks are now pu- pulling inside. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like Tottenham and and that's where they found a lot of their joy last season against City was in was in transition and specifically. Um, getting the ball out wide and, and then getting back inside for Kane and, and, and others. So I'm, I'm in a different sense, curious to see what happens with that space that's now left. That's been yeah. left more vacated in the middle because if you, you see a lot of the spaces that, that uh, Walker was picking up, there was a lot of times where he was almost like 
the holding midfielder in possession. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if that continues. That's really interesting. Um, I never kind of thought about it that way. Um, but I guess the one, the one real positive you have of those, I'll go back to your first point around players like Grealish playing in the fullbacks uh, positions is that they aren't really dropping that far back. Um, again, what sort of defensive liabilities come out of that still maybe don't know, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd be very curious about that too. Kind of going forward. Fun to be had with the city team um, because I feel like outside of maybe left back, I think Pep has basically everything that he wants slash wanted. Now they've been linked with uh, one or two potential left backs right now um, in, in the market. And I would say none of those are really set in stone, but I, I am very curious to see if there's anything else that's added to city for, for the rest of the season, but yeah. Yeah. They're in good hands. Yeah. Agreed. I, I agree with you. I, maybe the, the only thing is, uh, some backup for for a uh, Cancelo on the left there yeah much yeah right. but um yeah though they'll be you can see they, they'd be in something of a tough position if he gets injured obviously I think Ake can move over there but we that's not the same type of player of course so uh yeah you can see why they were going after Kukurea very much because a player that very used to playing that kind of very heavy possession style with with Brighton yeah. and, and I think Pep would have been very comfortable. Also, someone who played <laughs> La Masia, like, yeah, so he, he would have been very comfortable playing exactly playing, uh, Ake in that in, in the instance that Cancelo would be out. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, from West Ham's side, I'll just know like they 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 could be a little uh, disappointed, I guess, in in that they were not more competitive in this game, right? Like last season. I think, I can't remember if they ended up losing or drawing that game, but they were up to nil against City. I remember, and and uh, the City came back to to at least rescue a point in that game, and they just weren't really able to deal with um, with City at all in this this game. Like specifically in in the center of the park, like City put so many. There was at one point, I think like five guys in the middle of the field when uh, when like Diaz or, or Ake had, had the ball, like um at the back line and and city are just overloading the middle of the pitch and i just don't think that west ham really had the numbers or the the players in there to stop the passes that that city were making in between the lines so yeah i I think they're still very early very early for the season then we saw their their big signings uh jean-lucas kamaka come on in the second i I was gonna say what did you think of him um because that was kind of my my standout for west ham i think in this game yeah, yeah, he came on and and I thought it was really lively. Like I thought um there's definitely a bit of bite to him in terms of, like the physicality. Like I think I don't think he's going to take much time to adapt to that part of the of the Premier League, but um still very very early. I I guess I'm guessing from the substitution that he will probably be slowly phased in to yeah. become the the starting striker ahead of Antonio who we know now is is over over 30 and yeah he's not quite getting through full seasons anymore and and so they they obviously need a, a future plan there um but I, I thought he came on and looked bright and, I, and I'm interested to see a lot more of him I, I think he just kind of 
he kind of alludes not no one's Mikel Antonio, but in terms of like his running around and and the physicality that he plays with, um, especially for a David Moyes team, I think I think there's some potential there for him to be a to be a legitimate successor to to Antonio. Definitely, definitely, and I think having come from Italy and and scored, I, I think it's something like twenty plus goals last season. Um, I think that's that's basically his entire job is to score s- several goals. Um, or maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I could be, but um, that his his profile is truly just has an out and out uh, striker. That's kind of the point that I'm making. I might have yeah, my stats wrong. Yeah, it's very right it's, now, but. no, no, no. He's, he, <laughs> no, I I think right. I think he had he had at least like 15 or 16 in in Serie A. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a very similar profile to to, to Mikel Antonio. So. It, the signing made sense. I think it was a bit of a surprise when it happened, but the signing made sense. Definitely. Definitely. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to say to, uh, to hammers fans out there that might <laughs> hopefully not piss them off? <laughs> no, no, nothing, nothing else. I mean, that Manchester city home or away on the first day of the season is like, I, no one wants that. No one wants that set up at all. So, yeah. so I, I don't think you're going to learn a lot from that on your first game of the season. Um, I don't think that's your end all be all. Definitely. Definitely. I don't think there's not there's much that you can really take away from this game, but I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. So with that, Rian, you want to talk about uh, another question that's, I know been on your mind, um, but I, I'd, I'd be very curious to understand what kind of surprised you the most across the Premier League this entire weekend? I think I I definitely have an answer for me, but just from your perspective, anything really stand out to you outside of, of course, City West Ham? Yeah, I think this is this is not particularly centered on any one team or or player, um, but I think I was really surprised so in a good way. In a good way, yeah, yeah. It is it's more of a general thing. Yeah, it's I was. <laughs> During those like those ten that ten o'clock window, I was doing a lot of bopping around between um, between Leeds United playing Wolves, um, Newcastle playing Nottingham Forest, Tottenham and Southampton. Those were kind of like the games I was watching the most during the ten o'clock window. But even when you cast your mind back to Friday, um, Palace versus Arsenal, I've been pleasantly surprised by how much quality there is in like the mid table for, for the Premier league, like that palace game, like they played Arsenal really, really tough the entire game. I think they came into that match. They hadn't given up a goal in six straight home matches, um, like to end last season. So something, I don't think they'd given up a goal at home since February. And when you just kind of see like they, they there was a good 30 or so minutes where it looked really looked like they were going to get a goal and, and equalize in that game. But overall, between them and and then um what you saw against Newcastle with Newcastle and and even Leeds and Wolves, like the quality of the players on these teams, I think has grown over the last couple of years specifically. And it's just it was really, really cool to watch. Like being able to watch like, players on Palace, I'd say like Joachim Anderson, who was playing on Fulham like two years, two years ago. Yeah. When they yeah. went down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
like some of the passes that he was playing on Friday against against Arsenal were just amazing, like amazing long ball passes. He was like the only reason that that Palace really had any sort of attack in like for, for almost the entire game. Like he was playing these perfect long passes. Um, and I think you go into the Leeds Wolves games, guys like Pedro Neto, who if someone gets a chance to see it, he does does this crazy roulette that takes that gets past uh, Tyler Adams and uh, one of Leeds defenders, like just splits the two of them. Like, un- just crazy filth. Um, yeah. Like, but, but between like him and I thought Brendan Aronson was really good on his debut for Leeds. Um, and then from switching over to like Newcastle, uh, I, we talked about him, I talked about him uh, two weeks ago, but impressed every time I watch Bruno Gimaraes play. Right. And then obviously... Sam Maximan, and then you go to Southampton. Ward Prowse scores a great, scored a great goal. Um, I think I was just generally impressed by the quality in the mid table sides this season, and I and I think there's it remains to be seen whether they actually get the points in, in some of these games. But I think they're going to make life really tough for the top six uh, this season. That's a really good observation, actually. I hadn't thought about it kind of on like a broader view. Um, I thought kind of thinking back to that Crystal Palace game, I go back to your first point. I thought Crystal Palace were a very formidable side for Arsenal. I think I'm wrong, did, but did they play each other in the first fixture of last season as well? Because I feel like I remember it that way. And... It was, uh, they played Brentford in the first match of last season. But I thought, I, I, but to your point, like similarly, if you gave the same if, if vibes, it felt as that like game, there were some parallels. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the point that I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going for is I, I completely agree with you. I think, I mean, we can literally point to specific results, right? That would, that even from this past weekend, that would um, bolster your argument outside of maybe Fulham drawing Liverpool, right? Just the fact that Brighton were able to score two goals against United. That's their first results against them. I mean, like win against them, I should say, um, in what, yeah. over a decade, uh, something yeah, like in that. The, in the Premier years. League, at least. In the Premier League. In the Premier League. Oh, never, yeah, yeah, never, yeah. Never be, never, They've never been them away, I should say. Exactly. So I think even those type of results, albeit, again, round makes his point to me, like, very, very uh, honestly, and, and it's it's true, they are somewhat short-sighted and small sample size, but that absolutely goes to towards your, your argument there, and, and I, I see what you're saying. I think that players like players like um uh oh my thinking of from Valencia oh Ganesh from Valencia right coming over likely to Wolves and I think some of the additional signings for example that Leeds have made um over the summer all of those have been really really smart signings and I think I've, I've been pleasantly surprised this isn't my my answer to the question but I have also been pleasantly surprised by just seemingly these smart decisions that have been made by some of these mid-table sides uh, or historically known as mid-table sides. Um, that has kind of been a, an, an added on bonus to that, uh, that point as well. Totally agree. Uh, all very fair. Yeah. 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 I, I think the, it feels like what's clicked a little bit more in the last two seasons is those sides going after just some of the best young talent outside of Europe that are not that like the big yeah. teams are not ready to spend 70 million euro 70 million pounds on yet so guys like kamara guys like um who else oh oh basuma basuma is a great one basuma cucarella like like guys like that Mm -hmm. where they're going and getting like 
these very good young players in other league who've played in other leagues but aren't quote unquote proven, maybe not at Champions League level, and and um, getting them and most likely turning them for a pretty large profit. Um, see potentially Leicester City with with Fofana sometime that if not this summer, then next summer. Definitely, definitely. And also to your point, a lot of these um, European sides right now, especially the top ones outside of, let's say, PSG and City, um, and maybe Chelsea too, they are struggling financially. Um, Like it may not be really that public, but there are a lot of elements of the pandemic, of just TV money, et cetera. Uh, The last couple of years have really changed the, the playing field. So fair points all around. So for, from your end, Elias, I know you, you kind of teased it a little bit. What what surprised you the most from this weekend? Yeah. So the reason why I said, I guess, the, the answer to this question is not around, uh, I guess, the talent within the mid-table sides. Mine is actually to do with a very specific um, team and a very specific part of that team. Um, I think what surprised me the most in a really positive way, and this was on Friday night, was the strength of Arsenal's backline. Um, I think a lot of people have been talking about William Saliba and his return from France and spending a year uh, you know, on loan out there. But the fact that he was able to put up such a strong performance, right? He completed 100% of his take-ons, his aerial duels. Um, he had, I believe seven ball recoveries and something like six clearances, right? That that's a pretty monumental performance just as a, as an individual. And obviously they kept a clean sheet and conceded zero goals, but I, I thought generally speaking, that was one of the most impressive games for a Premier League debutante that wasn't maybe a striker. And I think that deserves a lot of praise. I think, um, I almost said <laughs> I almost said Unai Emery, but um, Arteta deserves <laughs> a lot of credit. Freudian slip um, for for the exactly exactly. So I think uh, Arteta, for example, deserves a lot a lot of credit for for bringing him back at the right time and also sending him out on loan, but also recognizing that this back line really did need a lot of help. And I think back to I forget if it was 2017. Or, or 2016 think about what arsenal's back line um looked like about six years ago i i i, I kind of cringe right it was what rob holding and friends and maybe gabriel polista hell even um, even even go back just, to a year ago <laughs> it's like like even who the, the brentford game and then playing chelsea in the second game they were starting Pablo Mari and Rob Holding, yeah, center back, and like Callum Chambers was the right back. Like, I know there were injuries, but still, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's just night and day compared to just a couple of years ago, uh, even like two seasons ago at at the most. So that's been, I guess, just how pleasantly surprised I've been with with them specifically in, in their back line. Uh, that's been a really refreshing change. Cause I think we've always said, like, even last year we said, Rian, like they have the talent up front to at the very least potentially be a, a top four side, but they have not been a structurally sound defensive team. Um, and that's kind of been their, their windfall. So this season could really be the season that that changes. Yeah. And I've like you was extremely, extremely impressed with uh, Saliba's performance on Friday. I, I, <laughs> I, I took him um, in this like set in my second 
uh, fantasy Premier, Premier League team, and I was really, I was really encouraged by that first <laughs> match. I wasn't, I wasn't hundred percent sure he was even going to start it, but uh, very encouraged by what I saw there. Uh, he, the, the way that he's just very calm on the ball and off the ball. Yeah, you know, like like on the ball, you can see it very easily. Like he doesn't really get flustered with pressure, and and um keeps his passes really tidy, really really accurate with his passing. And then off the ball, just kind of the way he lets things play out and then just steps in when, you know, action is absolutely necessary. Um, I, I think that's yep. really important to have in the back line. Like always important to have at least one of those guys as your center back or um, one of your defenders in your back line being kind of the calm, steady head. And he, he seemed to really, really compose that entire match. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm glad, uh, glad we got the surprises out of the way because up next we're going to talk about what kind of disappointed us. And oh boy, I have a fun answer for that. Um, spoiler alert. But we'll, we'll go through um, right after we take a quick break, kind of what disappointed us the most. And then actually a couple of things that we're looking forward to uh, coming up next weekend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll, we're back. We're talking about the second half of basically the, the first weekend in England, the Premier League. But we're going to start on a somber note. Well, not a somber note, just a, just a, Saturn of the first half. <laughs> Somber sounds terrible. Uh, I wish we could restart this podcast, but no one has time for that. Um, at least the, you know what? Anyway, Rihanna, what's this point you the most this weekend? I can't even talk anymore. Uh uh, you know, for, for me, it's not even like that big of an indictment at all. Like what disappointed me the most um was that Liverpool did not start Darwin Nunes this this past weekend. And I went back and checked the last couple of friendlies and I, I realized that he did not start with the first team in the last couple of friendlies. He didn't start in the community shield. And I believe in the game before that he came on the second half. Right. But only disappointing because when he came on a few people on Twitter talked about this, like, what's so fascinating about him was that he took Something like 14 touches in the entire game. They, they, sorry, the, the last 40 minutes that he was in the match, right? But he had four shots and he had six passes in the entire, in those four minutes. So like, the kind of like efficiency or very low volume kind of touch getter, if that's the right word I'm looking for, um, that he is and at the same time he's just kind of like a battering ram in the box as you saw like his goal that his run towards that cross was just similar to holland the dart like just darts and you're almost never gonna beat him to the spot because he's also so strong and so fast so I, i'm disappointed they didn't start him from the beginning i would have really liked to see what a full game with with um, Liverpool at, and Nunez is starting up top, um, potentially instead of Firmino, I would have really liked to see what that looked like from an entire match point of view. Because when they brought him on, they were down a goal, so like they're chasing the game uh, uh, at, at that point. So obviously, like the way that Fulham was playing against him, it changes a little differently. But yeah, I was I was just a little bit I was disappointed that I didn't get, that they didn't play him from the start and uh, yeah, giving us that opportunity to see the how exactly they're going to want to play with him going forward yeah listen i don't i don't hate that answer at all um i will say i guess in some ways 
I don't feel as though that's the most disappointing thing from the weekend for me because we did get a chance to see him at the end and he did obviously make a massive impact on the game. But at the same time, I wanted point, more. Uh, yeah, you wanted, but like <laughs> you wanted more in the context of the grand of a grand season of a season um, or, the, or the grand context of an entire season where we will more than likely see him start a majority of the games throughout the season. So um, maybe that can be like it's always the answer to your the second question to the last question of the pod uh, around what you're looking forward to next weekend but i do get your point i think it will be nice to see him start a full game i'd also be curious to understand how like a la holland basically does um klopp set up this team right do they do they set up this team around nunez basically in the same way that he will be making those runs in behind um defenses throughout the entire season um or is it is this team about to give him more time on the ball uh which i mean i don't think is their their best strategy um but i, I am equally as curious i think i think he possesses a lot of the same uh out and out qualities that <clears throat> excuse me that that holland does not to the same level maybe but just in terms of their profiles i do think they're very similar yeah and Again, I think we'll get better answers as Liverpool come up against teams that I think will bunker more than than Fulham did. Because um, I don't think Fulham was yeah. quite like a low block, right, defensively. Um, right. But but that that's where it'll be interesting with with Nunez, which is another one where I'm like, but if we saw them at like nil nil versus him coming on uh, at one nil, it might have been different as well. But. Um, I think what's what'll be interesting to see as we go on the rest of the season, and this is just like kind of my first thoughts on 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 um on how I think that the the teams are gonna kind of uh play with these new strikers in terms of city and Liverpool is that for Liverpool, I don't think they have to change their style that much. Like they're already a team that tries to get yeah. the ball forward as quickly as possible and having a guy who's who's very low volume, like even less volume than like less volume than, than Holland will be in, or Holland has been right. in the past as well. Right. So um, a guy who's just going to be running, making those darting runs and, and um, there's always going to be someone looking for him. Like EG Trent Alexander Arnold and, and um, <laughs> especially like solid guys who, who both love to just play it forward as quickly as possible when they get it, when they get the ball. Um I think he fits into like how they already play a little bit more. Whereas from the city point of view, like they've brought in Holland and now I think they're going to just tweak, not change totally, but like tweak um, how they play in like the final third. Right. And, and I don't think Liverpool will have to do that, but it, it, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. It was one of the things I was really most um, excited about coming into this season is seeing how these two teams kind of integrate with these big money uh strikers that are obviously supposed to be a big part of their their you know their current version of their team and their team for the next three or four years like what does that transition period look like and um yeah i think it's just like i said my first thoughts i think liverpool's a bit more of a seamless fit and then city's gonna tweak it a little bit and that's gonna be fun to watch in its own sense definitely definitely i love that answer um i guess for me honestly Honestly, I have a, uh, like you talked about disappointment in not starting an individual or a specific player. 
my answer is more so around um, uh, starting a group of players uh, for me personally. I was really, really disappointed to see Ten Hag actually start Scott McTominay and Fred together in midfield. Um, I thought having you know seen what we've seen in preseason with United and also just understanding how Ten Hag, at least from our initial impressions, really wants to play uh, within his midfield. I was I was unpleasantly surprised to see them both start together because I think having watched like basically the first 30 ish minutes and some of the highlights of, of this game, it seemed like what Tenog wanted to do was play a front three of some sort of Jaden Sancho, uh, Christian Erickson and Marcus Rashford and have Christian Erickson really sit in behind Bruno Fernandez, basically playing kind of a, a 10 role, right. And, and playing those balls into someone like Bruno Fernandez or Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, et cetera, which I think on paper is, is a really, really good strategy for, for the players that you have. I think the problem with that is you leave like, like Scott McTominay and Fred, I feel like just forget that at least one of them needs to be covering the back any given time. And Brighton made transitions for United in this, this entire game, just so painful like so so lethal and David De Gea is is no short of really a lot of blame either but Scott McTominay and Fred in midfield is just not a winning combination in my opinion I mean I've said how Rihanna how many years have I been saying this for like is it, are we going on two years of this um and I know you give your applause yeah. to Fred and, and he deserves it at times but like that combination just does not know how to defend collectively as a group and it is genuinely terrifying um to see that i guess still be be the case and also them still starting yeah i i i, I sympathize i i i'm not gonna argue that's that's a bad double pivot it's, it's <laughs> like the it's like the um worst kept secret really right uh i i i was personally surprised that mctominay came off or that fred came off first I don't think the I don't think the issue necessarily is that they don't realize that one has to sit but neither of them are necessarily good as as the deepest lying midfielder as like the defensive midfielder in that position and I don't I don't particularly think either of them are defensive midfielders and I think that Fred has a lot more qualities that are useful than than McTominay and the weirdest thing was that McTominay was so far forward in this game. And and I don't think anymore, I don't think it's because he's just doing this on his own. Like, I, I, he was going into the box a lot. He was, in general, pushing forward with Rashford and, and Erickson and, um, and Sancho, right? he's the guy up there with them like supporting these attacks my issue is that if the second midfielder in that pivot's going to be the one doing that then what's the point of starting McTominay like that position why not just start Van de Beek then if you're if you're gonna have that uh second thank god you said what I was gonna say basically man. be like the like someone is also helping in the attack like what's what's the qualities of McTominay yeah. that are helpful there um and then you saw with 
at well one he had the, this terrible first touch in the first half that that he ends up trying to like save and ends up almost knocking Moise Caicedo out of the game from Brighton and then the second Brighton goal it's McTominay go like trying to dribble past two Brighton players and then losing <laughs> and then Caicedo taking it away from him very easily and and um Brighton end up scoring from that counterattack like I guess the other side of this is like outside of um, Van de Beek playing there. And I don't think that Van de Beek playing in that double pivot would actually help them defensively either. I'm just saying that if, if McTominay is going to be making that many runs forward, it might as well be someone who's actually better at playing with the ball around the box than McTominay. But I, like, the, like I said, the other argument is that, you know, what, what are the other options in midfield? And, and um, it's still pretty slim. Like even when you get past those two guys, and then you throw in uh, Van de Beek as well, but like it's pretty slim pickings behind those three. Even yeah, I don't really want to go into the details of of who's behind Van de Beek because at that point it's it's quite quite sad uh, in all honesty. But but that's my answer. That's my honest answer. I think I think United are still in trouble so long as those those two individuals are unfortunately starting um in midfield especially in a double pivot but Rian, i guess we'll start with or we'll end on a brighter note right let's talk about or a little bit about at least what you're most excited about over uh the course of the next week and into next weekend i think there there are probably a couple you know fixtures for next weekend i guess next weekend is what the 13th 14th um that kind of stand out to me the one for me is obviously Chelsea Tottenham on um, what's it called on Sunday and then Arsenal playing Leicester, I think are probably the two big games of, of the weekend, but what are you kind of most excited for going into the second match day of the, the season? Uh, well, I think let's start with the big game next weekend. Um, Chelsea Tottenham, the Tottenham looked very good in their comeback win against Southampton. Um, they were playing like a team that was pretty much all the same players as last season. And it was some guys who are, who we expect to actually be backups like Sessegnon. And um, I, I think that he put in a really good game for, for Tottenham. I don't know. If, I think that Paris are just still like kind of the, for this season going to be the first left wing back. But I do think that uh, they looked like a team that's in a much more settled place than Chelsea is at the moment. And, and that's kind of where I think this game might come, probably comes a couple weeks too early for, for Chelsea right now. And um, they're still trying to bring in players. They're still trying still try to get rid of some players. And I expect Tottenham to look much more organized in that game or at least much more of an understanding between their players um in that game and and from the Chelsea side I'm, I'm very interested to see what the um center midfield and then uh what happens at, at left back for for that game or left wing back I should say for that game because Cucurella came on in that in the last 20 or so minutes of, of the Brighton game and looked really looked like looked like the guy who 
had been playing really well at Brighton the last year. Like they didn't look yeah, anything yeah. different realistically. Um, and, and Chowell looks like he's still getting match fitness back. That was his first full Premier League start since um, tearing his ACL at, at the end of last season. So, or at the end of um, 2021, I should say. So it, it's, I'm dubious that he's going to be getting a line share of the starts for the first month or so. Um, and then in the center of the park, I think I was just, I was frustrated another game that against a team that, uh, you, that doesn't expect to have the ball very much in Everton and it's, uh, Jorginho and Conte playing there. And I think that Chelsea just lose some, they lose a bit of, uh, creativity, especially I'm talking about in the dribbling sense when they don't start Kovacic and in those specifically in those types of games. And, um, I, I'm interested to see if he gets a start next, next weekend. Cause I, I I can't speak highly enough about him, but I, I think that in a team that lacks a lot of <laughs> guys who can dribble, who can like dribble past uh, a defender, uh, it, it's yeah, it's it's frustrating as a as a supporter to watch the kind of uh, the lack of wanting to put those players in in um, start those players in in more games, and it's, and it's a bit more it was a bit more cautious this weekend. And I think that was kind of disappointing from the, I think if you're a Chelsea fan, like, and, and I am so, and I was disappointed. So like, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I'm looking, I'm looking to, to yeah. Tottenham kind of continuing their, I think what's been a strong 2022 for them. And then, and then kind of seeing where Chelsea are in this kind of, Try, race to get ready for this season that they're already kind of behind on. Definitely. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I guess the one thing that I'm excited for is quite literally just this fixture, Chelsea versus Tottenham, because for a very specific reason, I view this as the potential race for the top four already between these two. And I feel as though the result of this game could really set the tone for the next several weeks and how these teams just mentally prepare going forward in terms of what they could achieve. Do, do we think that we can be the potentially maybe even the second um, place team in England this season? I think there's a lot of reason for Spurs to be hopeful. And I think there's a lot of reason that Chelsea might be a little nervous going into this game and going into quite literally the rest of the season. I mean, you saw how nervy the Everton game was um, and just that, that was probably too stressful for you. Like I said earlier, but I'm very, very curious to see um, what the outcome of this game is, how each team plays, because I think already this could be the the conversation for, for a top four place here. Yeah, you you don't like to say you don't like to say that these games are like that important come like, this early in the season because you know you know that things can change really quickly, long long season, blah blah blah, right? But. Um, you know, end of the day, like, these points do mathematically count the same as they would in May. So um, it, it's it's still important not to I guess, fall too far away from from a particular for, from any team um, at this point. Definitely, definitely. Outside of that, I will say, I think the the last thing that I'm most excited for next weekend, just whether it's fixture wise, player wise, etc., is. I'm very curious to see now how Arsenal play against Leicester. Uh, not because I, I think it's just an interesting matchup, but I'd be very curious to see 
um, if there are any changes in the Arsenal team. I don't expect there to be, but I'm curious if Arteta starts exploring with different, a different, slightly different lineup this time around um, compared to what he did against Crystal Palace. I think Leicester are probably equally as fun of a side, depending on which side of the, the I guess, or which type of fan that you are. I'd just be curious if there are any changes. Gabriel Jesus, obviously, I think he came out actually in that Crystal Palace game um, for Nketiah yeah. at some point. I forget. I forget if it was later on. Do we see some combination of maybe Nketiah start? Uh, I just, I'm genuinely just curious. I don't know if there's there's a clear answer. Um, yeah. So yeah. I wonder, I wonder, like, similarly, I wonder on the other end of the, the team, the back line, like, how um, do we see Zinchenko start again? We saw yeah. Tierney come on yep. for the last, uh, part of that game right and then does he come back into left back and uh does that does is Tomiyasu ready yet to play because I still think I, I think that their first alert first uh choice back four is, is will be Tierney Saliba Gabriel and, and Tomiyasu that's my my guess is what it'll end up being but um how quickly do we see that right and uh that, that's that's kind of the next the next question right Definitely. Definitely. Do you think I'm um, just one last thought? Um, do you think Pepe has a has a role in this team right now? Oh. Uh that air is not good for a podcast, but um <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just laugh I'm struggling. While you, uh, out of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm struggling to find to see the role for him, honestly. But but you know they they do play in the Europa League, right? If they don't get a huge offer, doesn't have to be a huge offer, I guess. Probably, right? If they don't get a an inadequate offer for him in the next three weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays as as kind of your insurance policy. If um, two of those attacking midfielders end up going down at some point this season, or he needs to rotate in for Europa League games, like yeah, I, I guess we can. Wouldn't be surprised if he stays just to be a squad option for this season and they try to move him on next season. But uh, I don't think anyone's itching for him to be an important contributor. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that's a fair assumption, um, which is crazy because he was a 75 million euro signing. Uh, three or so <laughs> here we are. He looked great. He looked great. And then we got coming over. It's uh, I know. Yeah, very true. Well, I think that just about wraps everything up for the first, wow, the first part of the season, um, talking about the Prem. Of course, we'll be back next weekend talking about the second match day. The first match day in La Liga is next weekend. Uh, Very, very excited to see things kick off. We'll see who is registered on the Barcelona side. Catch me talking about in a week. Don't want to talk about it now. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, I think that wraps things up. We'll be back next week and hope you all stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys.